40 times in 18 verses does he talk about how the law and sin has affected his life. We first see him use the term in verse 7 when he states that without the law, he would not have known what sin is. See, the law convicts us of sin. It leaves no doubt whatsoever. It's the mirror that shows us what's really there. It shows us right from wrong. If there's any question, we can look to the law and see this is good, this is not good. And as I said, it leaves nothing to the imagination. We can never say that we didn't know after seeing our sinful reflection in the law. And then Paul does something very interesting in verse 8. And he, he, he makes the same statement in 11. He says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. The Greek term for seizing the opportunity is a military term. It's a military term. He's explaining that sin literally takes the opportunity to attack you. That sin attacks you. And when sin attacks you, what it does is it brings about death. When we realize sin in our life, we realize that we have died. Romans 6.23, the first part of it, A, says, For the wages of sin is death. See, apart from the law... Apart from the law, sin is not known. This is where the whole concept of the age of innocence comes in. At what point do we really understand that what we're doing is wrong? Right? That's when sin truly becomes sinful. That's when, that's when people are held accountable for their actions. Is when they know the law, when they see the law, and when they can base their actions and, 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 and balance their actions and measure their actions against the law. But in light of the law, we die. In light of the law, we die. And that's what Paul's talking about. The law really shows you that sin is sinful. The law really shows you that sin is sinful. Just like before we look in the mirror, right? We can think that, oh, I look fantastic. I look fantastic. Or there's nothing wrong here. But we may look in the mirror and we may see a totally different story. How come nobody told me my hair looked like that? How come nobody told me there was something in my teeth? can't believe I really left the house looking like this today, right? We can walk around in our ignorance and, and, and not realize that our actions are sinful, but the law reveals the sin of man to man. Does it make the mere bad? That's the question Paul asked. Does it make the mere bad? Of course not. The mere didn't make you ugly. Not saying that you're ugly. Just saying that the mere didn't make you look in a way that is less pleasurable to yourself, right? You look that way regardless of whether you looked in the mirror or not. The mirror just made it painfully obvious to you. Paul affirms the goodness of the law in verse 12 when he says, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. And then in 13, he goes on to say, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. I think that this is what's described often as a conundrum. That this is described often as a conundrum. Paul explains that the mirror is not at fault for showing us our ugliness, for showing us our sin. Right? We're still sinful. We still look the way that we do. The mirror just confirms it. The mirror just confirms it, and he says something really interesting in, at the end of the verse there when he says, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. 
When does sin become worse? When you know it's a sin and you choose it anyways. When you know it's a sin and you choose it anyways. That's when sin becomes utterly sinful and it brings about death. It brings about death. This is how powerful sin is. Listen to this. It took something good and holy and perfect like the law, something that was supposed to bring us closer to God, something that was supposed to allow us to measure our actions and and stay in right relationship with God, and it corrupted it. And it turned it from a tool of something good, something that we could look at and say, this is helpful, this is helping me improve, this is helping me stay in right relationship with God, this is keeping me on the right track. And it took it and said, this is something that is condemning me. This is something that makes me bad. See, in the church, the Roman church, they they were struggling with this. Well, if the law says that I'm bad, then we'll just do away with the law, right? We've got grace, so why do we need the law? Grace is the only good thing. The law makes us not feel so good, so we'll just ignore it. And that's a struggle that we still have today. People like to pick and choose parts of the Bible to believe and to to really stand behind and say, well, this this affirms my beliefs. This is what makes me feel good. But this part, this section over here, it doesn't. So that was written for a different time in a different context for a different person. And it doesn't mean anything to me anymore. But when we look at Scripture, we have to see what was affirmed by Jesus. What of the law was affirmed by Jesus? Because Jesus himself said that he was not here to destroy the law. Right? He was here to fulfill it. He was here to, to make it right. And he was here even in a lot of ways to, to build upon it. We can look at the laws one of two ways. We can say it's this evil, dirty thing that makes us feel bad and so we want nothing to do with it. Or we can look at it as a tool that makes us better. That makes us better. And our focus is what's important in this instance. What are we going to focus on? Are we going to focus on the law as a tool of good use? Or are we going to focus on it as something that is not good, something that makes us uncomfortable, something that's evil, something that we can be judged by? We have too many people today running away from the church, running away from the law because it doesn't make them feel good. Because it doesn't agree with their thoughts about themselves. Because it speaks against some of the actions that they would rather just say, this is okay because I like it. Because I like it. And the fact of the matter is, it's just not okay. See, the law was supposed to bring life, but sin, like only sin can, took a gift from God and made it a tool of destruction. Paul's recognizing that in those verses. He's saying, I see this thought process, and I even see what it's doing. But he affirms for them and for us that the law is a good thing. The law is a good thing. And the reason that the law is a good thing is because we are incapable of being holy on our own. Verses 14 through 20 say, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. Listen to these. This, man, I'm telling you, these verses this week, like this specific clump of verses spoke right to my heart. Right to my heart. And you will hear Paul struggle, and I would be willing to bet, like me, you empathize with it, and you feel the struggle. So really listen to this. And just tell me that this hasn't described something in your life. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But I hate what I do. A lot of uh, translations say I hate what I do instead. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. 
Listen to that again. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. If you have sin revealed in your life, then you understand the struggle that Paul is explaining in these verses. In verse 14, Paul states that he has been sold as a slave to sin. One of my nerd moments, my, my biblical, like, love this nerd moment. Sorry. It's the perfect passive participle. This is what that means. This is where it really becomes important. This is an ongoing, continuous action. Didn't happen once. It's happening for Paul over and over and over and over and over again. It's a daily activity. Daily, he is sold over to his sinful desires. Daily, he struggles. Daily, he comes up short. Daily, he says, I'm doing the things that I do not want to do. But for some reason, I just keep doing them. I just keep doing them. There's real pain. There's real angst in here from Paul. In this passage, I empathize with him. I feel what he feels. He admits, this is my favorite verse in the whole thing, he has no idea what he's doing. Verse 15, I do not understand what I do. He's lost. He feels hopeless. He feels helpless. He's lost. Left to his own device. He does not know what he's doing. He desires good, but he just can't quite do it. He even goes on to say, I want to do good. I don't do it. Then what I do instead, I hate. How many of you can empathize with that? How many of you can say, I've been there, right? I have been there, sometimes on a daily basis. There are times where I know a test is coming. I know that sin, there's going to be an opportunity to sin. I know it's coming, and I do it anyways. How foolish does that make me? How foolish does that make me? That I know an opportunity to sin is coming, and I do it anyways. I do it anyways. I know it's right. I feel it on the inside. I feel it in my heart. I feel it in my soul. I feel God's leading. But the sinful nature within me that was within Paul just gets in the way. Gets in the way. And it doesn't give me an excuse. It doesn't mean that I can continue to live that way. It doesn't mean that I can live in grace and just be okay with my sinful nature. That's not what Paul's saying. But he wants you to know that he understands the struggle. He gets it. Guys, this is the greatest biblical author out there. Or at least, if you want to argue, maybe not, he's at least numerically the most represented. He has more books in the Bible than any other author. And here he is telling you, I can't do good. Even when I want to do good, even when I know right from wrong, I can't obtain it. I can't obtain it. I know I'm not the only one that's been there. Sin has so overwhelmed me. This is Paul speaking, not this Paul speaking, that Paul. Sin has so overwhelmed me that it is acting in my stead. That it is acting in my stead. Have any of you ever felt so just tangled up that you feel like the person doing the things that you're doing isn't even you? Isn't even you? 
you think back to something you did and you say, who was that? What were they thinking? What was I thinking? Is that me? No, it's the sin within me. But the sin corrupts who I'm supposed to be. The sin corrupts who we are supposed to be. I have become sin, and sin has become me. I desire good, but I just can't do it. I just keep doing the wrong thing. If this is what we are, if we're left up to our own sinful nature, if all we are is a desire inside to do good, but so often a failure to actually obtain it, then what hope is there? What hope is there? Jesus. Jesus. Christ is the only hope. Romans 7, 21-25. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So how do we fight the evil that lives within us? How do we wrestle with our inner desire to do good and yet our inability so often to do so? How do we see ourselves as the wretched persons that we are and have hope for a future that isn't death and despair? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But, but, this is the largest three-letter world, three-letter three word in history. It's the largest three-letter word in history. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can become so overwhelmed by the evil that is in this world. We see it almost on a daily basis. There's another shooting here. There's another shooting there. There's another child abducted. There's another child abused. There's people killed for their religious beliefs. There's people killed because they spoke out against the government. We see evil every day. It's all around us in our world. And the weight of that can crush us. But we can become even more overwhelmed by the evil that rests inside of us personally. And the minute that we see ourselves as wretched creatures, as unredeemable, as not worthy of grace, that's when God comes in and says, I love you. For the wages of sin is death, but God. But God. Makes all the difference in the world. There is hope. There is hope. There's hope in our evil world. There's hope in our world where we see pain and we see suffering. And that hope is Jesus. And as Christians, we have to preach that hope. I am the pastor of this church, but I'm not the only pastor in this church. I'm the pastor of this church, but I'm not the only pastor in this church. And what I mean by that is that daily you have the opportunity to preach the gospel. Daily, you have the opportunity to share with people that there is hope in a world that has been destroyed by the sins of man and that that hope is God. Invite people to share in that hope with you 
Invite people to come into this place and to experience the Word of God. Invite people to understand that they can be forgiven and that their past does not have to be their future. Because any other way, any other way, it's not respectful, it's not helpful, it's not hopeful. We're seeing people headed on a beeline straight for hell and we're allowing it to happen. Every time we say, I'll believe what I believe and they'll believe what they'll believe and we'll live in harmony right here. We are breaking God's heart. We are literally breaking God's heart. Yes, God tells us to love our neighbor as we would want to be loved. He tells us to respect people. He tells us to treat people with kindness. But at no time ever does He say, let people live in a lie. And the truth of the matter is that the only hope that any of us have, Christian or non-Christian, is Jesus Christ. Because the wages of sin is death. And left to our own devices, we are not good. We are not good. We cannot do good. It is Christ that lives within us. It is Christ that lives within us. And we need to be sharing Christ with the people that we work with, that we live next to, that we laugh with on a daily basis. Are we as a body of believers doing that? Are we as a church saying that Sunday is a day to bring life and Sunday is a day for people to have rest and Sunday is a day for people to be filled but throughout the rest of the week it is for me to work and it is for me to share the love of God and it is for me to tell people about the hope that I have experienced that in spite of my sin I can have a hope for a future that is not pain, that is not suffering but is joy Can we tell people in a loving way that you are headed for hell but God? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I thank you for this day. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you love us. You love us so much that despite of our sinful nature, despite of our inability to do good, even when we know right from wrong, God, you gave us your son. Jesus left a place of comfort, left a, a throne to come and, and be among men and, and to live amongst sin and to be a light in a dark world. Help us to be people who are lights in a dark world. Help us to see the law not as an evil tool, God, but as a, as, a, as a way to become more like you. Help us to be comfortable in sharing the gospel. God, make us so uncomfortable just sitting by, watching people head for hell, that we have no choice but to act. There is no good in us but 
God. But that which you have given to us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We have experienced the ultimate gift of grace. Help us to be people who focus on the right things, who focus on the law, and again, God, see it as a good thing, not as a tool of destruction, not as something that's evil, not as something that just makes us feel bad. Help us to be people who love every day like we would want to be loved. We ask for all these things in your son's name. Amen. Now, three choices we talk about almost on a weekly basis. Hopefully every week. Sometimes I'll be honest, I forget one or two, and that's not a good thing. But Some of you out there today may be coming to the realization that you're not a Christian. And honestly, I will say that that's not a shameful thing. I really don't believe that that's a shameful thing. If you realize that you're not a Christian, but that you need to be, that is something to celebrate. And as hard as it may be to admit that I thought I was, but I'm seeing that I'm not, the only thing that we will do in this building is rejoice. And God will rejoice in that as well. So if that's you today, if you say I'm not a Christian and I want to be, I want to talk about what it really means to be in relationship with Christ, come talk to me. Some of you are not members of this church, but I will tell you this, we want you to be if you want to be. We want Crosspoint to feel like home. We want you to long for this place. We want you to miss it when you're not here. We want you to be part of this body of believers. If you decide that that is what you want, come talk to me about that. We will start the ball rolling in that process. It's not hard, I promise. There's no test. Some of you just need to pray. Okay, you, you need to pray with somebody. You need to talk about the things going on in your life and you just need to share that burden. You need to share that heavy load and that's what I'm here for. We have other people around this room who would love to pray for you. Seek one out. Otherwise, stand and worship the God who loves us despite of our inability to do good.